end of year episode, Gender Justice Legal Director Jess Braverman and myself, Erin May Quaid, will be hosting a special mailbag episode. Do you have a question for a lawyer or a legislator? Go to genderjustice.us slash ask and submit your question there and tune in in our last episode of the year to see if Jess and I answered your questions. That's genderjustice.us slash ask. This is the Gender Justice Brief, a podcast of gender justice. We fight for gender equity by breaking down legal, structural, and cultural barriers and expanding protections. We want to see all people thrive, regardless of their gender, gender expression, and sexual orientation. Hi, everybody. Uh, my name is Erin May Quaid. I use her pronouns. I am the special project advisor at Gender Justice. And we are going to talk about every pumping parent favorite memories, the indignities of having to pump in public and especially while working. I am a mom to a 19 month old now. And so those memories of pumping and trying to produce enough milk and finding all these places to, to do it, which I did pump at the rally we had at the Capitol, like en route from the launch point to the end. It, I, it's so clear in my mind. I know Megan and Sarah Jane, you have similar memories. Yes. Hi, everyone. I'm Megan Pierce. I'm the executive director at Gender Justice. I share your pronouns. And my days of feeding my child with my body are further in the past than yours. But I remember very well, in particular, the number of times I spilled and wanted to cry. Yeah, it's a struggle. It's basically like an extra job on top of the parenting and the your actual job. So how about you, Sarah Jane? Did you have a mishap along the way yeah so many hi everyone i'm sarah jane i am uh you see her pronouns i'm a senior staff attorney i think one of my big there were so many different things but i think my biggest thing about work was i'm very privileged to have my own office in a private space but for getting the milk at the work refrigerator at the end of the day and then not having it bring to daycare the next day was just like oh i'm shake this but I had to go to my freezer staff and then I threw off all my numbers. Yeah. So many memories of being a pumping and working mom. So the case has brought back a lot of that for sure. I like, oh, glad, Megan. I was going to say, I missed the congressional briefing in DC that I organized because they didn't come unlock the pumping room for me in time. I was just standing there in tape. <laughs> and I missed the cold reason I was even there. It was so frustrating. I did the math and I, in the 108 days that I did this math and I spent 700 hours pumping our nursing, 108 days. I mean, it was like so much time. We are going to, uh, with that lovely imagery for everybody and, and I'm sure anybody who's pumped a breastfed is like just being ripped back into it. Uh, we are going to start talking about why we are all here, which is our case. And so myself, Sarah Jane Megan, introduce herself. I'm going to have Grace come up, uh, mute, and introduce herself, and then we'll jump in. Grace, introduce yourself, share your pronouns, your title, position here. Yeah, hi. My name is Grace Moore. I use she, her pronouns, and I'm a legal fellow here at Gender Justice and one of the attorneys on the Ali case. Wonderful. That is what we are here to talk about, Ali versus Lime Country Airline. And before we get into details on the case, details on the law, Sarah Jane, I'm just going to come to you really quickly to just give us a couple of what is this case about. Just very basic of this case. We represent Hani Ali. She was a mom of a new baby, I think was five months old when she started work at Fat Country. And she 
long story short, it never really was given the proper accommodation to be a pumping mom at work. And we'll talk a lot more about what happened to her. And she worked for Sun Country Airlines. So she worked for the airline at their, in their office, which is that terminal two of the airport. So that's the Humphrey Terminal or Terrell to the smaller one for Sun Country Airlines. So she worked um, as a customer service agent there, checking in passengers and that sort of thing. So we ended up, or we sued Sun Country Airlines on her behalf. And we, today we're going to tell you a little bit about what in the law allowed us to sell Sun Country Airlines for what happened to her and more about what happened to her that led to this being what we thought in gender justice was a really important case to move forward and to litigate. Well, yeah, I'll pass it back to you, Erin. Yeah, this is an incredibly vital case and really one that sits at the core, the root, the foundation of gender justice and what we have done from our inception. And Megan, I want to come to you to talk a little bit about gender justice in history with the uh, Women's Economic Security Act in Minnesota, which is where a lot of our pumping and pregnancy rights uh, are established and found. You're muted. Thank you. So Gender Justice was founded in 2010 by Lisa Stratton in the picture there with Governor Dayton and Jill Balding, and they were plaintiff's attorneys and really initially ran the organization as a, kind of a small nonprofit law firm, but always had this vision of doing impact and strategic litigation alongside and really coordinated with policy advocacy. And they had an early case on behalf of a client named Tara Duncan, who essentially was pushed out of her job um, because she was asking for puppy accommodations. And there was a law on the book at that time, but there were there was uh, no remedy. There was no path for her. It was, yeah, you broke the law, but nothing's going to happen to your employer. And in 2014, when then um, Majority Leader Speaker of the House, Paul Keeson, Representative Paul Keeson, really threw down at the beginning of the session, like, we are going to do something big this year. We are going to move a whole package of laws that address and help to improve economic justice for women. And so that was really the impetus for gender justice to build out for the first time its uh, policy advocacy program. And Lisa worked very closely with uh, Jeff Patrick, also there, who was on the Gender Justice Board at the time and worked at the University of Minnesota to help develop the laws and also engage folks in the community who had stories that could help really tell the story about why it was so important to improve these protections. And so Tara Duncan, our client, testified at the legislature, told her story, really made it real to people why we needed to change the laws. And so that a package of laws, it was really groundbreaking. And Minnesota was one of the leaders in the country in passing that, that package. And then in 2021, uh, the legislature came back to revise it a bit, added some more protections for pregnant and pumping employees. And then gender justice was selected to join the Attorney General's Advisory Task Force on expanding the economic security of women. It was really an opportunity to bring a bunch of leaders and scholars back together to say, okay, we've had this great law since 2014. What's working? What's not? What are the continued gaps? What's next? And our very own Erin May Quaid, when she was the advocacy director for gender justice, was the co-chair of that task force. In 2022, the report was released, and then that really set the stage for, in 2023, the legislative session where the votes were there to really come back and stick what were some of 
uh, the weaknesses of the original program. And the main, the biggest, there were a few, but the the one that we most celebrate having fixed is that now the protections of the Women's Economic Security Act apply to all employees. You only need to be an employer of one in order to be required to follow these laws. And so it really just means that's the standard for all employees in Minnesota is that you are able to have a reasonable break time in a private space and without interruption and probably other things that Sarah, Jane and Grace are going to go over in more detail. So I'll you, but you know, that you have that right to be able to pump at work protected by Minnesota state law. And I will just say, I was the, the author of, of the bill and I'll say in committee, when we heard it, one of my colleagues asked, why have you taken it from 15 employees that are required to go down to one. And I said, Senator, it turns out after all this research that your need for pumping and pregnancy accommodations is in no way related to the size of your employer. And he laughed and he was like, touche. So it was just like this very, of course we're going to do this. Grace Moore, I'm going to come to you. And there are two different places in Minnesota statute and law that we have these rights. And one is Women's Economic Security Act that Megan talked about. And then one is the Minnesota Human Rights Act. So why don't you talk a little bit about both of those pieces and what are our rights? What, what's going on in the law? Yeah, thanks, Erin. So first, just to touch a little bit more briefly on the requirements of the Minnesota Women's Economic Security Act, we said that Megan was just talking about this statute really provides some specific requirements that all employers, as we're saying, all employers, you only need to have one employee that they have to provide for lactating employees. So three key requirements that we want to highlight, and not all of these are at issue in our current lawsuit against Sun Country Airlines, but are really vital for pregnant and pumping employees to be aware of their rights under Minnesota law. So first is that employers have to provide notice of lactating employees' rights, both when an employee is hired and also any time an employee asks about or requests parental leave. And so what's really exciting is that WECRA explicitly requires that this notice of your rights under Minnesota law has to both be in English and the primary language of the employee. And the Minnesota Department of Labor and Industry, which is the state agency that's responsible for enforcing WECRA at the agency level, they already have brochures available on their website in English, Spanish, Somali, Hmong. And I know that they're currently in the process of translating these rights um, into even more languages. So employers really don't have an excuse to not comply with this requirement when there's already so many resources available to them. And this notice also has to be in an employee handbook if an employer has one. And I will note that this notice requirement was added in the 2023 amendments to WISA that Megan discussed. So it's not an issue in our current case, but it's a really important piece for educating folks on what their rights are under this law. And then the second key requirement is that lactating employees must get reasonable break time each day to express their milk. And employers aren't allowed to reduce the employee's compensation in any way, can't require an employee to use paid leave benefits, sick time, vacation, anything like that. Their compensation is not allowed to be decreased under the law. And you can't require an employee in any way to make up the time uh, that they were on break. And there's no exception. And then finally, the third key requirement, which Sarah Jane will also talk a lot about uh, in reference to our current case, is that employees ha employers have to provide a clean, private, and secure space for employees to pump. And the WISA statute gets pretty explicit about what this lactation space needs to be. 
including that it has to be in close proximity to an employee's work area. It can't be a bathroom or toilet stall. There needs to be access to an electrical outlet. And it truly needs to be private, meaning it's shielded from view and coworkers and the public can't just walk in on an employee while they're pumping. As you will hear, it still happens quite frequently. And then really importantly, WESA also prohibits retaliating against an employee for asserting their rights under the law. And retaliation has been outlawed under WESA since 2014, but the 2023 amendments only improved on these retaliation requirements and made it really clear that our legislature wants broadly retaliation to be prohibited. And courts really looked to that legislative intent. And if someone's employer doesn't comply with these requirements, an employee can report them to the Minnesota Department of Labor and Industry. And by statute, the agency has to respond within two, has to respond and reach out to the employer within two business days and investigate the complaint within 10 days of receiving it, which is a really great and, and tight timeline to address these really vital issues. And like in our current case, an employee whose rights have been violated can also bring an individual lawsuit to enforce their rights. And Lactating employees can also enforce their rights under the Minnesota Human Rights Act. Which we also love, which we also are kind of experts in parts of. Great more tell us about the MHR, the Minnesota Human Rights Act, one of the best in the entire country. Go ahead, tell us. Exactly. Yeah, so under the MHRA, employees are protected from discrimination on the basis of sex. And our statute explicitly defines sex as including pregnancy, childbirth, and disabilities related to those two things. And so we argue that lactation is plainly related to pregnancy and childbirth. So under the MHRA, lactating employees are protected from discrimination on the basis of sex just by the statutory language. And employers can't refuse to hire fire or otherwise discriminate against a person and the conditions of their employment because of their sex, meaning also because they're a lactating parent. And similarly to Lisa, the MHRA also prohibits retaliating against an employee for asserting their rights under the act. And employees are able to file either a charge of discrimination with the Minnesota Department of Human Rights, and they can also bring an individual lawsuit, which I can, which Sarah Jane will talk a lot about how both of these statutes can work for overlapping and different protection for lactating employees. But both are really robust and um, are a great way to enforce rights. So that's just a brief overview of the two laws under which we're bringing this case. And, and with that, I'll pass it back to you, Erin. Thank you. And I think we really wanted to give people just a, a lay of the land for how seriously the law takes the rights of pregnant people and pumping and breastfeeding people, we really want it, especially when they're employees. So we wanted to get that level set. I'm just going to do a quick level set as well about just some facts about breastfeeding. One, breastfeeding has numerous health benefits for nursing parents and infants. And the American Association of Pediatrics recommends that all babies are breastfed for at least the first two years of life. If that sounds like new information for you, that's because in July of 2022, Three months after I gave birth, they updated it from one year to two years of life. And I absolutely sobbed in a chair while breastfeeding, whatever. And I was like, I can't do this, Grumble, for a year. But they're eating solids after six months. So they can supplement with breast milk. Women with children, and I'm going to use gender language here because this is how the studies were performed. So women with children are the fastest growing segment of the workforce. 80% of new mothers in the United States begin bre- breastfeeding and 60% of new mothers are in the workforce. 
I will also note that um, gender justice also has expanded into doing work in North Dakota and South Dakota. And North Dakota has the highest population per capita of working mothers in the entire United States of America. And so this work, obviously, uh, this case is about Minnesota, but this is work that we are doing in Minnesota, North Dakota, and South Dakota. And one thing that there was anything you learned at the top of this conversation is that breastfeeding duration is dramatically increased when employers support the choice to do or support someone's ability to do. It's very much a demand and supply when it comes to breastfeeding and pumping. And if you don't have the ability to express milk that when you need to, your supply will be reduced. And it just, people can't continue breastfeeding if they don't have the ability to express milk. It is an involuntarily bodily function, like going to the bathroom or needing insulin. Okay. So those are just some facts about breast and chest feeding, but to the meat, Sarah Jane, please tell us about the details of this case. Everyone gird yourself because it's not good. No, it's not good. Oh, what is good? We have this incredible client, Hani Ali, who is just an amazing woman. And she was super, I've been very brave um, to, to bring forward to, to assert the right, but she did both with her employer. And in real time, and is doing now, working with us. And I just mentioned quickly, we do have co-counsel on this case as well from Lockridge, and they're a wonderful to work with. So we are working together to bring this case. But yeah, so let's go back. So in September of 2021, Hani Ali was hired by some country. And she was hired, and they knew that she was a nursing and pumping mom. When she did her initial tour of the facility, She's been doing some off-site training somewhere, and they did a tour with a very high-level manager on the space where they'd be working. And the manager made a point of saying, yeah, where am I going to be able to pump? And he, oh, you can pump in there. And it was the baggage storage office that some country had on that lower level where you offered your ticketing and check-in at the terminal. And so that's the space she was told to use. She started working, when she started working there, she was pumping there. And it's one of those rooms that the main room you can enter is kind of almost full glass while the windows and then desks in there. And then there's back, a back room within it uh, with the door that closes, but it also has windows looking in. Uh, many employees had, there's like an access code on the door, should it be locked? And many employees had the code, it wasn't a secret. Um, but that's where she was told to go, and so that's where she was pumping. Um, and she also, there was also a refrigerator in that room, and so she's been storing her, her milk in that space as well. Uh, early in November, um, when she was pumping one day, and I'll just sorry, I'll set the scene for you a little clearer, but Ali is a Muslim woman, and she wears a hijab, and when she would go into this room to pump, she would organize herself in, like, the back corner, so she was away from the window. I tried to situate myself, uh, but she would take off her hijab and she would obviously expose her breath so that she could attach her pump. And so she was doing this on that day and she noted that one of her colleagues, she knew her father, a man, was looking in the window at her and just staring at her. And she, of course, was mortified because she, her breasts are exposed, her head is exposed, and so she quickly makes the decision to grab her hijab to cover her breath. And she's waving for him to go away. And he's not. He's just standing there. Like, he won't leave. Like, he looks mad. And he, she's waving and waving. And finally, she gets up and pushes Nora. She's like, get out of here. She's mortified, humiliated. And he's like, you're not supposed to be in here. And he starts, like, telling her she's not supposed to be in there. And she's, yes, I am. And it goes on way too long. She's like, please leave. Please leave. And he won't leave. 
we finally leave after 10, 15 minutes of this sort of back and forth. And he goes and gives us a supervisor. And they come back and the supervisor, you shouldn't be doing this in here. You don't have permission to be doing this in here. You should be in the bathroom. And so the, the, they finally leave. And the results of the incident are that she is banned from hearing that speech. And she is, including the refrigerator that she's been using. And the two men filed an HR complaint against her. So now she's the subject of a human resources complaint. And it is our understanding of what happened was that while the main manager told her to use this space, and I think a couple other managers knew that she'd been using that space, it was never communicated for company-wide, listen, this is a space, leave us sign. Even if it was a good private space, which we argue it was not, it wasn't communicated to other employees and other supervisors that this was space. And so she was, you know, the supervisor who did find her there, but so rude to her, disrespectful to her. And that was the big incident that started a lot of the, the problems. And after that, she was given no other space to pump and no other space to store milk. So what did she do? She had to keep pumping. She had to keep working. So she started using the terminal two where Humphrey had a lactation room within the terminal for passengers, for anybody, right? It's a public space, anybody who's in there. So that would be picketed passengers and employees inside the terminal. But upstairs from the baby playing office, and it's inside security, and it's one room so that one person can pump in there. There's no separate spaces. In order for her to pump, she would have to then open up a refrigerator. And so she started bringing a soup thermos that she needed to fill with ice. Where did she get ice, you may ask? She got ice at the Starbucks from the terminal. Of course, that's where you get ice. I could go on another whole tangent about how she got trouble for taking too much time to go to Starbucks and get ice. So she now has to go through security and she has a bag so she doesn't have, she can go through it that's away, not with passengers, but she still has to ride all of her items from security. So she's got her pump, which is how much she needs. We all know what it's like when you go through security with things like that. She's got to run that through every day. She's got to run her thermos with ice, and every day they're opening it to check inside to make sure she's not bringing in any fluid. And so she's having to do all of that just to get in there so that she can go see if it's open, the lactation room, which there we hear passenger in there, often there was, sometimes there was a line. Sometimes she was in there and someone was banging on the door for her to get out. <laughs> she was then, there's, there's just so much to talk about. But she, it, it was a known thing, whether it promotion per se, but it was a known thing that the preferred work assignment for Patty and her peers was to work at the gate inside of security, at the gate or you on a plane. She preferred those work assignments. I think they're like less laborious. You weren't like picking up everyone's 50 pounds, throwing it on the belt and all that kind of stuff. You got more breaks. Uh, and so, and she also preferred those because she, and she was close to her lactation space. She's already inside of security. But all of a sudden she realized she was no longer being scheduled to work inside the gate anymore. And so she went to her supervisor and asked about it. And they were like, oh, you're pumping and taking too long. So we're no longer scheduling you in there. So they've now taken her away from the place that first to the pumping room. They've taken her away from the preferred work assignment, which she had owned by this time. Her peers she started with were working in there. And they told her it was because of her pumping. Keep in mind, her breaks are taking a long time because she's having to go to Starbucks to get ice, but she's having to wait in line, things like that. 
And starting, the other kind of big thing I want to focus on is starting when the incident happened with her being seen pumping and her getting in trouble and all of that stuff. She started facing increasing, just there's not another way to put it, bullying and harassment from some of her colleagues took the other guy's side, for lack of better way to explain it. She just started facing a lot of possibility. Um, why does she get all these long breaks? Why is she taking so long? She wasn't, she's not supposed to be using that refrigerator. Why, you know, all that sort of stuff. And we, in the complaint we drafted in, which you can access on our website, we got him in a couple of very specific situations where she was just faced with really just a disrespectful treatment by colleagues, by managers, just lots of hostility and disrespect based on the situation and based on her trying to get her needs met. And I just want to say one of the things before we go to the next slide, which is just that she didn't hear this somehow all out on her own. No one would like, you will now hear the pumping word inside the terminal. She just want to figure it out. HR, manners, no one was like letting her know what she should do now. No one was like trying to accommodate her or make it any easier on her. So I think we're going to have a little bit of a conversation about why this case is so important for the state of Minnesota, for pumping and nursing employees. And so I, I think what happened to Ms. Ali is just so horrifying. And the, the details are so horrifying. It's like, how do you just pick a few? <laughs> because they're all so bad. But yeah, continue on, Sarah. Yeah, I know. Definitely. Yeah, this is an important case for so many reasons, which we'll get to. And it, the weird thing we say is lawyers were like, Wow, this case has great facts. And a lawyer in a case has great facts. That means that it has facts that are really troubling. And it, as alleged, are really horrible violations of the protections that Minnesotans are supposed to have. As this went on, so set work in September, incident in November, not just working her way through, trying to make it. And we, we outlined, again, in the complaint, very specific situations, but there were likely more, but Ms. Ali was doing anything she could. She was emailing HR saying, I'm still waiting to find out when I'm supposed to be pumping. Any, in, any suggestions could be great. Thank you. And she was telling them, hey, is the refrigerator going to be fixed yet? Like, hey, I'm not, I'm not getting scheduled here. Uh, what's going on? Or, hey, I know that I'm not getting, or I'm being scheduled for bevel ship with a big break in the middle, which makes it really hard for me to stir my milk in the summit all that time. Things like that. She's trying to advocate for her needs. She's doing what you're supposed to do. She's contacting needs are. Uh, and she's being there just receiving no response or they're saying they're working on it. Great. And again, we talked about this at the beginning, but like when you're pumping, there's no sort of give up time to work on a solution. She needs to pump every single day, every two to three hours. Like, so. There, there wasn't like time to fix it. And, and again, just the time it on, the sort of harassment and bullying and stuff she faced just continued until finally it was in March of 2022. And there were a couple more incidents where she just felt like the writing was on the wall. I'm not going to get my needs back. These managers are not advocating for me. And um, they're not helping me with the bullying and harassment I'm, I'm experiencing. Like I can't keep doing that. And she did end up resigning her employment and leaving. So that's in that is where the story with us began. So yeah, but yeah, and the facts are are horrifying too. It, it just is. There's so much. There's just so much there, and it's such a blatant case. I think one of the things that always strikes me. We did a survey with providers, doulas, and lactation consultants, and OBGYNs and family physicians who serve people who have just given birth and who are pregnant. And we also sent the survey to anybody who we tried to reach a bunch of different folks in different ways. 
who had given birth within the last two years. And what we really learned from those surveys is that people understand that they have rights. Sometimes they don't think that it applies to them. And a lot of times people who are pregnant or have just given birth are very much treated, that's your problem. That you, you, like you chose to have a baby. That's really on you to figure out how you're going to figure out in your life how it's going to work. Please do not inconvenience me. Please do not change anything about what I need from you because of your decision to have a baby. And so I, that really came through in the surveys. But another thing that came through is that, well, broadly knew what their rights were, but that for threat of retaliation, it's so high and it, it's so subtle sometimes, right? It's like the attitude you get about taking your pumping breaks or it's the little things like getting the worst breaks time scheduled or assigned or people making snide comments. It's just like the general atmosphere, which we do account for in the updated use a lot. But Mike Bali was experiencing like the really overt stuff, right? That you think no one would even do that because it's so, so horrible to punish somebody. I'm going to have, you know, Sarah Jane, Megan, Grace Moore, come on from you and let's just talk a little bit about why this case is so important. And the first thing I'll just say, as a legislator, as a lawmaker, like we can pass any law we want to all the live long day. Nobody wakes up and thinks, aha, there's a new law that protects me. It really requires people to know what their rights are and how to avail themselves are. And I really see this as an important tool for enforcement and education, right? Because we can have the law, but if nobody's getting in trouble for violating it, then does it matter? We can have the law, but if nobody knows about it, does it matter? Um, and Megan, I'd look to, as the ED, as somebody who's been working on these issues for so long, why is this case important for gender justice too? I think pregnancy and pumping protections in general are crucial to the overall goal and project of advancing gender equity because it's critical for people who give birth and who are parents to be able to fully participate in society. And that includes being able to earn a living and go to work and not have being pregnant or being a new parent take you out of those things and then being able to provide for that family provide for yourself. And we need to bake into our systems and our structures that this is, of course, an, an accommodation. This is not something difficult, shouldn't be considered difficult to include. And it is what allows over half of, I guess not over half of people are pregnant or parenting, but it allows the whole group of people to be able to fully participate in society. And so that is just a really important piece of being able to achieve gender equity in general. But then I think you've already touched on this, but I feel like as a legal organization working through the law, we are able to use the courts and pass new, help pass new laws to improve, improve the laws. But if, if they're not active, if they're not working in people's lives, what does it really matter? And when it comes to breastfeeding, breast and chest feeding, like it's such a, in the grand scheme of things, a short window of time in someone's life and also the window for solving the problem is so tiny that our usual systems of oh, go file a complaint to solve your well like i literally need to be able to pump tomorrow or in the next two hours so i do think that enforcement is important because hopefully it will teach employers like oh we better not violate this law in the first place but having employees know what their rights are and being feeling competent advocating for themselves is such an important piece of that puzzle. Yes. And I just think about 
it is a really narrow amount of time in a person's life, but it's a really crucial, yeah. important part of that, of especially the new child's life. And I forgot to my, who haven't maybe breakfast or pumped or not for in a while, like it does require you to relax so that you can let down your milk. Like you can't just be like, I'm going to run this marathon. And I'm actually, there's probably people who run marathons the pump at the same time. Who do I, who am I to say? Like you really actually has done it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Have you, Sarah Jane, have you run a marathon? And definitely people, that's definitely a thing. People but, you know what? They're probably very relaxed though while they're running. They must find running relaxing. I am not one of them. <laughs> I like to be seated. Please and thank you. But what, so Sergeant, while you're off mute, tell us a little bit more about the barriers that people experience to actually getting the accommodations they need. I think I talked about a few of them, which is that sometimes it's like this subtle retaliation in a way that's sometimes really hard to articulate in a lawsuit or even in a call to the Department of Labor and Industry or Dolly, as you call them. Sometimes the barriers are hard to explain, but there are very real barriers. Now I actually talked about those. Got to go back to the question before on like why in his case, like why couldn't this wind out? Like, as, as, a, as a lawyer and someone who spent a lot of the past 10, 12 years of my life doing legal research, these protections are really new, really new and sparkly clean. It's always often not there in the air and you know, I'm Minnesota is leading, although it's notable. And this is not one of those places where it's just Minnesota because we're like the best that we're leading, like we are in many places. Like, Federal law is like close to us on this stuff. It's not like they're kind of agreement. We need to do this. This is important, which is cool. But there's no legal precedent um, or very little legal precedent on um, interpretations of these laws. And um, one of the things that's really important to us, I know, as, as a legal team and as a legal entity, is making sure that the interpretations that do come out of um, a case like this are expansive and robust and are going to be, it's going to be interpreted in ways that protect as many people as possible and as and, and much as possible. And so that's one of the really exciting things about bringing their case now that, that Lisa had gotten so, so robust. But yeah, there are so many challenges in making sure people are actually getting access to these rights. We talked about it. A lot of employers have no idea that they have to provide these accommodations. They just don't know. Smaller employers, not big corporations, like some countries should know better. And a lot of them have challenges. Yeah, yeah. Just saying, a lot of them have challenging workspaces. Like maybe they don't have a perfect little room set inside, and people don't have private offices. That's like a real like challenge, but it's not insurmountable. I was at the Duluth Superior Zoo a couple months ago, and I walked by. It looked like a portable toilet, but it was a portable pumping room inside their building. Like there, done. Purchase it, put it there, done. Don't build anything. There was no adding an addition on, okay? It's not, the workspace may be challenging, but it's not something that it can't overcome. I think like a really big one on this list is that, and Aaron touched on this, is the sort of, I said, mixed perceptions of fairness, the sort of, and that leads to the retaliation and the sort of like harassment, the hostility, which is like, why did she get raped just because she had a baby? I did they get more time off for me? But going back with some of those, there's some really discussions in the law about smoke breaks and stuff like that, which freely just freely granted to smokers. So different battle, different time. But but yeah, there it is that perception. Or like, why does she just get upset all the time because she got pregnant? You know why? Because we as a society value this. We value people who are who decided to do this. That's why, and that's why we've made it the law. Yeah, and and then we talked about some of the statistics and the importance 
cloud nursing, cloud pumping, which you need to do if you're away from your baby that you're nursing. You need to be able to pump. I think there's a lot of misunderstanding too, which is about the literal like how to how pumping works. So I I knew nothing about how pumping worked at all until I had to do it. And my child was now three and a half, but I had no idea. And it's like not just go sit in a room and attach something and kick back. It's that whole thing. If for anyone on the call who doesn't know, there's a machine. You got to take these two big sucking things and attach them to both your boobs. You're going to way. Right. 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 There are so many that got plugged in. I was saying earlier that I had two pumps and one was rechargeable. I'm like, I just didn't want to deal with crawling under my desk to plug in my one pump. So I brought the rechargeable one to work. I was only because I didn't want to have to like crawl to the, where the plugins were in my old office building. And so there are so many little things that you don't necessarily think of that you haven't done then. And so just thinking of what Miss Ali had to do to like take her whole bag of pumping implements and put it through security and take it into this room that's not hers and that someone else just used and that someone's going to use after her. Like there's just so much that people don't know. And so one of the things I love about it bringing this case at a place like gender justice is that along with, you know, going to court and suing the, the corporation, we're like doing a ton of education and advocacy around this because Yes, litigation is one way to teach people, but show people is one way to get information out there. But I just think that the, the education piece of this is huge on so many levels. Yeah. And also, the last thing I'll add to you is because you're feeding a teeny tiny person who is brand new to the world that has not been exposed to anything, it has to be incredibly sanitary. And the amount of cleaning that you have to do every single time you pump of every single little tiny little section, little cup. It's just immense, and it takes a lot of time. And I'm an affordable one, and sometimes I would just do one and then move it to the other one because I did not want to wash two pumps because it took almost a while to wash them, and then did two pumps. It was infuriating, and there's like twenty little things. Oh my god, and it's expensive. And this was happening. I gave birth around the formula shortage time too, and so I like leaned in really hard and had a lot of anxiety about what if I stop producing as much milk that we need to supplement and there is nothing to supplement. You can't give infants under one, six months cow's milk, right? There was nothing else if there was no formula and I didn't produce breast milk. And so it, there's just so much that is wrapped up into it. And like you said, this, this myth of like, why don't she get right? My baby, believe me, I'm not calling. So yeah, maybe I like to come off you. Oh, I just wanted to say, I feel like we're making breast and chest feeding and pumping sound also like the worst thing that ever happened to people. So I just want to acknowledge there are reasons why we all go to all the trouble and it's not just because it's good for the baby or whatever, but also, at least for me, even though I did not enjoy pumping, I did really enjoy uh, breastfeeding overall and it is a wonderful experience bonded your child. So I just feel like I want to balance it out a little bit here. <laughs> No, I think that's, I think part of the reason for me, at least, like it was a mostly a non-issue because I worked for this organization 
and I worked at home, but even if I worked for the organization in our old office, it just wouldn't have been a problem. And when you add irritating things about pregnancy and irritating things about pumping and cleaning, but it's just adding on top of that, your employer feelings and your colleague feelings, that's just not something that someone should have to endure for what is lovely for a lot of people or neutral for a lot of people, right? It, it makes something that could be neutral negative. We do have a question and I think, I think it's a good question. It does seem hard. Did some country prefer to fight this case rather than just make the common sense accommodation? We just filed this complaint and some country haven't not had to respond yet. We're still in the beginning of the litigation, so we don't really know yet how they're going to respond to it. They haven't done that yet. They haven't had to do that yet. So it's still early to be there. I think that this is a good, Megan, do you want to you say something? I think the next thing I was going to say was coming to you anyway. But the two things I, I want to mention, one is that we have resources for pregnant employees, lactating or nursing employees, so that you can know what your rights are and what you can do about it. And we'll make sure that those are included everywhere this conversation may be. The chat, if you're out with us live, this will become a podcast. Um, but Megan, you want to share a little bit about what folks can do to get involved, to support our work. Yeah. So I think the biggest thing as we're talking about is helping spread the word about what, you know, making sure people know what their rights are. And so we do have resources on that. If you go to genderjustice.us slash resources, you can find a number of materials available, both a kind of fact sheet, know your rights fact sheet, as well as a self-advocacy letter that you can customize to your particular situation and use with your employer. Um, and also a pumping privacy door sign that you can print off and then hang on the handle of your door. So we have those materials on our website and we would love if you would help share them with people in your life, share them on social media, share them with new parents or expecting parents. And we are also making available training for workplaces, places of worship, community groups. And so if you have a, a network or a workplace where you think that information would be helpful, you can reach out to us. Um, they'll be on our website. You can go and fill out a form to ask for a training on our website. And uh, we will follow up and see if we can provide that, provide that support for you virtually or in person. And then lastly, of course, none of this work would be possible without support from our community, from our generous donors, supporters, and funders. and Gender justice actually gets very little funding for this type of work, pregnancy discrimination and pumping discrimination work. So it is people like you, people in our community, donors to gender justice that make it possible for us to take cases like Nizali's case. Yes. And I think that's really important to note too. And it could be a, a little, of a monthly recurring donation of $5 could be really huge to support this work. The last thing I'll say is that I have found that by and large, employers of any size want to do the right thing. They want their employees to feel comfortable. They want them to be able to have time to express milk or be seated if they're pregnant. And employees want that too. It, this really is a standout case because it goes against what people generally, their orientation for pregnant people or people who are nursing or pumping are. And I think we, we did spend a lot of time talking about some of the barriers that people face at work and some of the things that could be said or some of the things that are hard about um, breastfeeding or pumping. But really, truly, like most people get to go through life and go to work and pump in peace 
and go back to work and go home and feed their child. And so I think it's important to know that this really stands out because the treatment is at odds with mo how most employers would treat their employees. And we do find that if employers aren't following the laws because they don't know. And so oftentimes the remedy is just the conversation and information to make it better. So that is also why these resources are so important to share around. Like, but I'm just going to say, though, that doesn't happen on its own. To the degree that improved. capitalism did not <laughs> evolve toward supporting pregnant and something employees. It can't work like this to keep moving that ball down the field. And our excellent uh, allies in the legislature also being willing to come back and take another look at an important piece of legislation and make it even better an important piece of the puzzle too. Very true. Thank you all so much for joining us. This has been, the, the case is back or horrifying, but the case is so great because we get a chance to talk about some really important work and we have a wonderful client. So thank you all for joining us. Please check out those resources. Please check out how you can be a supporter of the work that we are doing. end-of-year episode, Gender Justice Legal Director Jess Braverman and myself, Erin May Quaid, will be hosting a special mailbag episode. Do you have a question for a lawyer or a legislator? Go to genderjustice.us slash ask and submit your question there and tune in in our last episode of the year to see if Jess and I answered your questions. That's genderjustice.us slash ask. Thanks for tuning in to the Gender Justice Brief. This show is produced by Gunter Janel and Audra Griegas. To keep up with our work in real time, be sure to check out the show notes for where to find us on the web, social media, and to sign up for text updates. Don't forget to subscribe, leave a review, and share to help us spread our message. Thanks for listening, and see you next week.